0: presents Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, because the podcasting world needs yet another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and yeah, I'm a movie lover. And I like to talk about movies with other big movie lovers. And when I do, sometimes I find out that they haven't seen a movie that I love or that I really enjoy. And I just sort of like, come on, you got to watch this movie. And let's just, you got to watch it and you got to talk about this. And so, that's why we're here. And we're here today with my friend Diane. How you doing? I'm good. Excellent. Known each other for 14, 15 years, something like that, I think. Long time. Long time. About that long. You are a fellow Portlander and you are a big movie fan, right? Absolutely. Uh, What's what's your history with movies in general? I know that... uh, you went through a period where you were trying to make some at one point, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always loved movies and I did go to film school to learn how to make movies. It's, it's something I would still love to do, but you know, it's, it's not an industry that offers a lot of stability. So it's nice to, you know, still have my well-paying job and, you know, I can still appreciate, appreciate movies, watching them and everything. So yeah, for my 40th birthday, we did this huge like movie madness like bracket thing where we had people vote for months on movies. And then once we got down to the winner, we rented a movie theater and watched that movie for my 40th birthday and it ended up being Goonies. But I mean, it was fun.
0: I remember that. For some reason, I didn't make it to the movie theater when we watched it. But I remember voting on that. I was very happy that it was Goonies. Yeah. So. And it's such an Oregon thing as well. Such, an, such a Portland thing to do and such an Oregon movie to do it with. But that's very cool. That's very cool. And I think that that shows that you do have a love and appreciation for movies. And and that's the reason why I asked you on the show. Not just because I needed to get, you know, more diversity in there. No, no, not that reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about movies a lot. And I think we should talk about movies. But in order to do that, I got to give you a movie to watch. Now, you sent me a great list of movies and I had a lot of choices and It was up until this last, very last moment that I was sitting here just like, I don't know what movie to do, but I think I figured it out. I want you to watch Full Metal Jacket, Stanley Kubrick's 1987 war movie that stars Matthew Modine, Adam Baldwin, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Lee Emery. Now, you've never seen this, right? Correct. What do you know about this movie?
1: Well, I know it's obviously it's a Kubrick film. I know a lot of people, yes, have said it's probably one of the, if not the most realistic movie about Vietnam War or war in general. I, you know, that's pre uh, Saving Private Ryan, but you know, I heard it's a pretty intense.
0: It is pretty intense. And I, I, yeah. Yeah, I I have some strong feelings and strong emotions on this film myself. I've seen it many, many times. And I've seen it, I saw it a lot when I was going through basic training, too. So, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard it's kind yeah. of like two movies. You have the basic training part, and then you actually have the, the war part. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it is going to be a fun conversation that we're going to have on this movie after you watch this. I should ask you, too. First though, why haven't you seen it? Just how has this not come across your radar? You've got such a deep appreciation for films and it is a Stanley Kubrick film. Why haven't you seen it yet?
1: You know, I think partly I had a very sheltered childhood and we weren't allowed to watch a lot of that stuff when I was younger. And it just kind of got, it was always on the list of, oh, you should see that, you should see that. And then, you know, I just never have gotten around to it. I've seen almost all the other big Vietnam War movies or whatever, but, you know, even my wife, had to watch it for a class and somehow I didn't even make it to watch it with her. So yeah, it's definitely a huge miss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well now is your opportunity. Now is the opportunity to finally catch up with this film and there's no time like the present. So I'm going to let you go off, watch the movie and while you're watching it, we're going to listen to a trailer about the movie. And then when, 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 that's done, we'll come back and we'll have a little conversation. Sound good? Sound good. Joke. We're going to have to put you up for the Congressional Medal of... Ugly! I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. You will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. I wanted to meet interesting and stimulating people of an ancient culture and kill them. Happy birthday! Happy birthday. Private i from now on, Private Joker is your new squad leader, and you will book with me! You're a real comedian. Well, they
1: call me the Joker.
0: In strategic terms, Charlie's cut the country in half, the civilian press are about to wet their pants. And we've heard even Cronkite's gonna say the war is now unwinnable. Everybody turned up, got shot. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master
1: it as I must master my life. You're not a writer, you're a killer! A killer, yes, sir! Do I think America belongs in Vietnam? Um, I don't know, I belong in Vietnam. This is my life!
0: And we are back. I hope you had an opportunity to watch Full Metal Jacket like my guest Diana and I did. But if you hadn't, I would like to now provide you with just a quick synopsis of what this film is. An epic critique of war, Full Metal Jacket is a focused look at the Vietnam War through the lens of the Marine Corps. Starting with basic training, we are introduced to Joker, a wise cracking young recruit, cowboy, Joker's bunkmate, and Private Pile, the company's screw-up. We also meet the drill instructor, Hartman. The stripping down of individuality and forming of a soldier using intimidation, insults, and physical abuse fills the screen during the first half of the film. Now, the second half of the film, things are a lot different. The film continues Joker's story as he's in Vietnam, assigned as the Marine journalist with Stars and Stripes. He gets sent into the field after the Tet Offensive to be embedded with his old friend Cowboy. This is where we start seeing the realities of war play out in a series of scenes that are depicting the confusion that exists when train killers are let loose in a confusing situation. So Diane, you are a Stanley Kubrick fan, and this is a very interesting Stanley Kubrick film. What was your first impression after you watched the film?
1: I loved it. I was surprised. I had, I knew very a little bit about it, but I, I think I had some kind of preconceived notion of what it was going to be. And it didn't turn out to be that. And so I was more surprised, I think was my first reaction, but I, I loved it. I think I, I just I commented to my friend that I think it, it might be my favorite Kubrick film now. It,
0: really? Yeah,
1: I really enjoyed it.
0: That's fascinating. I'm, I'm really, I think you kind of answered the second question of how it met up with your expectations. It seems like it exceeded them a little bit. You said you went into it a little hesitant. Can you explain a little bit of that?
1: Well, I think you know the movie came out in 87 and i was still like you know i think maybe in 7th grade or something still still kind of young and definitely very impressionable to my parents opinion and i think i just thought it was a really uber violent movie and you know i, I you can a lot of vietnam movies are mm-hmm. but it, it there was so much comedy in it that it didn't it didn't feel like that and so yeah that was surprising
0: it does have comedy some moments could be considered very black comedy yes but there is very much the laughing in the face of the bleakness of war laughing in the face of the violence or the seriousness of the situation or especially during the first half of the movie laughing in the face of this brainwashing that's occurring to you this physical abuse that's physical and mental abuse that's occurring to you and the gallows humor of it all as you're talking to your friends and just like we're gonna make jokes Because that's the only thing that that we can really rely on for our humanity. (laughs) Let's start going through the film then. This is really two movies. They are connected, but this is very much two movies. We have to start at the beginning. We have to start at basic training. What, during that chunk, did you really latch on to? What were some of your high points for that first part?
1: I mean, the drill sergeant was just amazing. And I don't know, I'm not well versed in a lot of, you know, armed forces... Movies, but it seems like, and I don't know if he set the standard with this movie, but he's, that drill sergeant seems like that's the character we see in any other kind of basic training sequence that like yelling over the top, insulting. Even noted, like, he uses an insult about there only being two things that come from Texas, steers and queers. <laughs> and I was like, they say that same thing in Officer and Gentleman. And I was like, mm-hmm. So is that just something they say in the in the armed forces or did they like copy that from it but i was surprised at how many quotable lines came from that particular Mm -hmm. segment of the movie and you know i mean i think i even used to say a lot when i was a you know younger like and maybe in high school or whatever like what is your major malfunction i'm like (laughs) you know i had no idea that came from that movie but yeah so
0: yeah Arlie Emery was a drill instructor, and he was actually brought in as a technical expert on the film. And after yelling out a couple of people who were in for that role, they finally just kind of looked at him and said, you know what, we want you to do this. And he kind of rewrote what that role really looks like and really feels like for Ever. It's easily recognizable as being what a drill sergeant is and how that actually works. They don't care. They are given a job to break people down and then start to build them back up from the baselines. And they do that mentally and physically. And they are seen as God in the area that they are in. And they are made to look that way. And the best way to do that is just that presence that they bring. It doesn't matter about what they look like physically, it really is all conveyed with how they present themselves and Arlie Emery presents himself as this towering figure in this frame of a man.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What else really jumped out at you during the basic training sequence?
1: I love the way that he shot those sequences. You're confined in their barracks and everything. And he had a lot of like really long tracking shots, where he would go down one row of cots and come all the way back around and then they stop but they'd still not cut and i love those kinds of shots
0: yeah this was definitely a movie for an auteur like kubrick to really enjoy the space that he was in Uh, you mentioned the cots and the repetition of the beds and the precise nature of it all and being able to kind of have that repeating shot motif as he's going past each of these individual people yeah It's a very pretty film to look at. At the same time, you also feel it, too. There's a lot of visceralness as well. Yeah. Is there anything that really was a lower moment for you during that basic training sequence?
1: I don't think it was a lower moment. I think the main question that I had coming out of that sequence, that whole first act that I kind of discussed with Christopher, is I wasn't quite sure. I believe that Vincent D'Onofrio's character, Private Pyle, Snapped just because you know, they beat him up one night. I know it happened over a few weeks. And Christopher thought that maybe he was already screwed up before he came. And I kind of thought he was portrayed in the beginning as just kind of a dumb goofball.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was his thing. He wasn't mentally unstable at first. And so I thought maybe that he was just trying to make a statement that every person has their breaking point, and And <laughs> he definitely had his quite early... <laughs>
0: I think that that's closer to the truth. I, I mean, it's not hard to say that the most compelling character really is Vincent D'Onofrio's Private Pile character. The most outstanding is Arlie Emery as a drill sergeant. But the real crux of everything that happens in our first half is is all about Pile. Everything that happens to this entire unit is things that are occurring because of Pile's screw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he comes in and he's he probably just barely passed. The requirements. I mean, it's Vietnam. They were looking for anybody who anybody. could breathe. <laughs> yeah, anybody who had a pulse. But still, he probably made it in just under those very, very liberal wires of, we'll take him, we'll break him. He'll be infantry grunt material. We, you know, he'll be cannon fodder. Great. Yeah. What broke him was, you know, it, it. It really is set up as that moment where they do the soap party on him, where they, they fill their socks and they hit him. And of course, the one that hits the hardest is the one who has been really trying to train him the entire time. And the one that you could even say Pyle loves, and that's going to be Joker. And Joker's the one that hits him over and over and over again because he's finally snapped as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it is what's the moment that, that causes him to snap. And, and I think that you're right. I, I mean, there's a breaking point for everybody. And that's what this film, throughout it, really test what is the breaking point for every person yeah. it's kind of the same moment for joker in that first half that's where he breaks as well that's why he goes off on him even though that was the breaking point and that's what started to turn him did it turn him too far did they then make him the killer and that he just didn't have the off valve or the way to release it and that's why he just broke at the very end there when he shoots arlie emery's character yeah there's a lot to really unpack with that. And it's and it's very juicy and it's very interesting. I know that going through basic training, it was all of the insults and all of the, this is what DNC is. And this is what uh, the drill sergeants are like. Yeah, that's that's all true stuff. And that's all what you feel. And it's all getting to the point where, okay, I understand I'm just a soldier in this. I'm just a machine. I'm just going to do these movements and I'm going to mm-hmm. do them well. And if I have to do some exercises, okay, I do some exercises. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about some of the other characters, though? Uh, what did you think of Joker? I mean, the main character of the film, what did you feel about him?
1: Um, no, I wasn't sure about him in the first act. He seemed like he didn't want to be there either. But he definitely, I mean, he obviously made a better soldier than Pyle. I mean, I guess I mean, he made it through basic training with greater <laughs> I, I, I'm, ease.
0: I'm sorry. I, I, I had to laugh at that. I'm like, I don't know if, if Joker is a good soldier. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know if that's really the case. I, I think that he, you're right. He made it through basic. Yay. Um,
1: yeah. I, I think it was interesting that in the second act he was assigned to be a journalist and he was over in Vietnam not to kill not to be the killing machine that he was trained to be
0: yeah that's the duality that we see that's really prevalent in the second part and that's kind of what that's some of the interest that we'll get into that second part during the first half I was I've always been amazed that he's kind of the a bit of a blank page I mean we we find out about him through his interactions with other people but it's still he's just another soldier it Mm -hmm. isn't until he talks back to the drill sergeant, but does it in such a way that actually impresses the drill sergeant that yeah. he puts him in charge. So it's like, oh, he, there's a little more to him than just being a soldier that's going to take orders. He'll he'll do that, but he's still going to keep his mind working in the background as well. Yeah. What did you think about it being Matthew Modine as the character, though? He's kind of a bit of a little bit of a pretty boy and a little bit of a uh, somebody you wouldn't normally see in that kind of in role. In that kind
1: of a macho military, Yeah. 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 No. And I I was trying to think back to like his earlier career and what kind of roles he had then. But I, I think he's kind of, yeah, he's never really been in that kind of leading man, macho.
0: Sort of. Right before this was uh, Vision Quest, where he was a wrestler. It was a bit of a love story, but he uh, was a, a high school wrestler or high school or college wrestler, so I can't remember, but it's kind of one of those things of like, it was a weird switch for him. And a lot of people are like, I don't know if I can see him in that role. But it's kind of a blank, like I said, it's a blank piece of paper you kind of throw things against to see what reflects back at all.
1: Yeah. I think honestly, if you were just like looking at the characters lined up in basic training, you, would, you might have just pointed to him and said, he's the one that's not going to make it. He was the skinny kid, glasses. He didn't look all that athletic or strong. And, and, that turned out not to
0: be. That mind that's a little bit of work and he's able to shut it down just to get through what yeah. he needs to get through. I know we kind of talked a little bit about Pyle, but uh, Vincent D'Onofrio deserves a little more talking before we go into the second half. What do you think about him? I mean, what did you think about this role, especially seeing him and doing other things that are really recognizable these days?
1: I thought he was uh, amazing in this role. He's such a great character actor that he he was, I think he was flawless in this role. And I kept thinking of him in Men in Black and how he was such a like, <laughs> very broad co- comedic character. And I was like, how, how can that be the same person? But then Angela was like, yeah, I kept thinking of him in, in Law and Order and how he. Mm-hmm. she's like, I definitely see that same kind of actor in his character in Law and Order. So yeah, I don't know, was he nominated for any awards for this role?
0: He was not. Uh, Arlie Emery was nominated for Golden Globes for this. Yeah, He was nominated for this, but doesn't look like Vincent D'Onofrio was. It's definitely one of the films that people point to, because I think he was brand new enough and they didn't realize exactly what his range was. Mm-hmm. I look at this and I compare it to one of the more recent things I've seen him in, and that's the Daredevil miniseries on Netflix, where he played the Kingpin, which is a very physical and very brainy role, but it's it's very precise and his character is very very precise and it's such the 180 once again from this but you do see the the little bit of brilliance there's something that's not quite right in the brain Mm -hmm. and that's the bit that he is able to really act on and show he plays a fascinating character i totally agree i think that he is amazing this you don't realize how amazing he is unless you can actually see him against other things that he has done Mm -hmm. just on its own it's just like okay it's it's perfect but then you think about him against other things like god this is amazing (laughs) (laughs) yes we got to move to the second half of this because the second half is where everything changes it is a completely different movie and it's sometimes very difficult for people to really make the connection some and there's lots of arguments about is there a connection is the second half a complete waste what does this all feel together or what does it feel separate what's your feelings on it now that you've seen the movie i
1: think there is a connection. I mean, the whole point or the essence of the movie, it lies in in Joker's helmet and his peace badge. That is the duality throughout the whole movie. The born to kill the machine that the, you know, the Marines have made them. And then the, I have my own mind and I'm a human and an individual. And so I'm going to wear this peace symbol on my jacket in the middle of one of the most dangerous areas of Vietnam during the war. So...
0: What's funny about what you just said, too, and I don't think I've really thought about it until now, until you pointed that out, is he has Born to Kill on his helmet. And over his chest, he's wearing a button with a peace sign. And the the peace sign is showing that his mind is set as... It's always thinking, it's always recognizing what's going on, and it's, it's always working. And the born to kill is basically saying his heart has been turned and he is ready to kill at a moment's notice. And he's got those two things switched. He's mm-hmm. got the, 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 the born to kill over his head, which means that his mind has been changed to kill and his heart is still showing peace. It's interesting how you can kind of mix those two up. And I think that that's part of the conflict he has is where, where should those things be? What should those things be to actually be making you a good person? Are making you an effective soldier, which are two completely different things.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great, a great point. We get
0: into this and we start looking at the second part. We're in Vietnam, we're in the thick of it, and we'll try to watch our language here as best we can. Um, <laughs> and and we have him working as a journalist, which was. A shock to Arlie Amory's character when he announced that he was going to be a journalist, which is a (laughs) horrible occupation for a Marine to be. But he is a Marine journalist that's working for Stars and Stripes. And he is bucking against the system a bit and, and really mocking everything that's in the system and everything that's being done. And as the Tet Offensive hits, he then gets tasked with, okay, you're going to be like this. You're you're you think it's all All cake and ice cream, mm-hmm. fine. We are sending you in the midst of the Tet offensive. You are going to cover it. You are going to you're going to report on it, which is the last thing he wants to do. Yeah. So we have him finally in the position where he might have to be an actual soldier. What are some of the big highlights that stood out from the second part of the film? What did you really get from it?
1: I think it was more the the contrast between his character and mother, where mother was the the hardened soldier, the you know the. He, he was the machine. And when they first met, they had that little showdown face-to-face. I mean, kind of like you alluded to, Joker didn't really take it seriously until they almost actually till the end when they were ambushed. Yeah, I think he finally has to hit that breaking point. He has to come to terms with Born to Kill And the peace sign, you know, because when he's eventually confronted face to face with a sniper, he he falters. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, The, the climax of the movie leads to that where he has to he is actually forced with the choice of what he needs to do. And in the end, he finally does it. You have to wonder, is that going to be is this the end of what Joker was? Or has he finally become that soldier? Or is there anything still left of of the brain that's in there? Let's talk a little. bit. You brought him up. Let's talk a little bit about Adam Baldwin as Animal Mother. Yeah. Again, again, an actor who has appeared in a lot of other things. Firefly. <laughs> Fire, yeah, Firefly is the big one, but he's he's appeared in a lot of other things, different roles. I, you know, he had a role in Chuck. He he's been around, done a lot of different things, and it's very interesting seeing a very early Adam Baldwin in this extremely violent role. But what did you think about him?
1: I thought it was a great role and a great character. I mean, I know that, again, there's like this progression (laughs) in our recent pop culture of Vietnam War movies. And this was probably one of the the earlier ones. I I mean, I guess Apocalypse Now was earlier, but Mm -hmm. I was a huge fan of the show China Beach. And so he... Reminded me of Dodger. He was the hardened soldier Marine who would come back to base from time to time, but he was definitely, he had, his mind was like, you had that thousand yard stare or whatever they called it. And he had no sense of humor. It was just kill, kill, kill. You know, you don't know who the enemy is. And and so I kept comparing him to that character.
0: What did you think about some of the early scenes when you were kind of faced with these groups of soldiers who were sitting around and waiting for the next thing to occur? They've already been through some of the violence of Vietnam. They've already survived a lot of it. But they're sitting around kind of waiting for the next step, and they've got that downtime. And just some of the actions that they do on their downtime. I mean, we've got them sitting around a bombed-out area, And they've got a dead combatant there that they've dressed up. And they're talking to him like he's their friend. They have one of the girls that's brought in by a national. And there's the tire scene where they're trying to figure out the cost that it's going to be. What did you think about those downtime vignettes that occurred?
1: I saw them as, I mean, I think that's where the black humor in the movie comes from. Mm Mm-hmm. Because their job is to go from place to place that they're told and take another building, take another village, and they're in this downtime now where they've probably secured the area pretty well and can feel somewhat safer. And so, yeah, they just blow off steam by kind of making light of their situation, and that's you know having the party for the dead Vietnamese guy. And it's not funny, but it's, no, no, uh, it's I I understood it, and I, I guess I didn't have a problem. With it in the context of what they were going through, the hooker scene I think bothered me the most. But I think that's just probably in the, the context of like just like my normal life.
0: <laughs> no, it that it, that is the the real challenge with watching any movie like these. It's it's the movies are coached into a specific time frame. It's, yeah. This is the time frame that it was, and it's not making excuses for it, and it's not trying to justify it. It's just saying this happened. This is what it was, right or wrong. Yeah. We, we definitely say wrong now, but I mean, th- this is what life was like and this is the, the things that did happen here. So you you kind of get forced with these scenes and really the message that comes out of it is you train these guys to kill, but you don't train them for anything else. And so when they're put in a situation where they have something else to do besides kill, they aren't really going to know what to do unless it's what everybody else is doing or what is deemed to be the right thing to do in that situation, or or what they're just going to go off of what their id tells them that they should do. And it's not always the right thing. And I think that that's that's something I, on my rewatch this time, I was really pulling out is that they have trained soldiers to kill, but they don't train them for anything else, because it's not that important, especially back at that time. And so they're kind of forced with this idea of, hey, so what's going to happen here? And how are they going to do it? And it's it's a very bleak view of things, but at the same time, it's fascinating as well.
1: Yeah. And a lot of those guys, they came probably right out of high school. So they didn't have a lot of life experience and kind of, they didn't get to become an adult in a normal societal way.
0: (laughs) And kind of like we mentioned it early on, too, in Vietnam, they weren't necessarily taking the cream of the crop at that point in time. So uh, a lot of people that came there didn't necessarily even graduate high school. A lot of them were told by a judge, yeah, I'm going to give you a choice. It's either prison or the military. What do you want to do? Yeah. And and so, you know, what exactly are you getting? And, And how, you know, you may have somebody like Joker, who has a mind who may be able to understand right and wrong. I mean, I I think in this in a lot of contexts he's still choosing wrong. But you put him in a group of with a group of people who are not going to have real morality choices. He will take the path of least resistance wherever possible. Yeah. What about any negative parts that you saw on the back half of this film? Is there anything that really stood out, or you, or you had a problem with?
1: I can't think of anything that had like a major problem with. Story-wise, I think we're supposed to have a problem with the, you know, the final sniper set piece where they send one person out, he gets shot down, and they're trying to decide. You have your commanding officer who's just been down, so you have someone in charge now who's not really ever been in charge of the unit, and he's trying to give people orders, and they're like, whatever, I'm not going to listen to you, my friend's out there, and so that kind of whole, like marine mindset that they're trained to do to obey orders at all costs just breaks down really Mm -hmm. really quickly.
0: When all of a sudden you don't have anybody who is an actual leader or been trained to be an actual leader, then what are you left with? You're left with Incompetence and mistakes, yeah. and a lot of people yelling at each other because you got the people who you, you got the animals of the world who want to go for it and kill, 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 mm-hmm. and you've got the thinkers like Cowboy and Joker saying, "Wait, wait, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a smarter way to do this," but they haven't been trained to figure out what that is. Yeah. I guess in a whole then, what are some of the big pieces that you really took away from the whole movie put together? Because like I said, it's two movies. It's a lot of times it's split apart. But then when you put them together, what are some of the things that you came away with for the whole picture?
1: I think it's right up there as a great comment on war and you know, in the movies that we've seen about the Vietnam War. It's, I think, though, I feel like the message that, the main message that they're trying to get across, and it doesn't necessarily have to be against a war set, is that you have to keep your individuality. There may be a point where every human kind of breaks and becomes that machine, but I think that was the whole conflict of the movie, the, the battle between that line, that very thin line.
0: <laughs> and and I think of the good way to, that they ended the movie is... Kind of questioning some of that because then you have the soldiers marching across the field singing the Mickey Mouse Club song, yeah. <laughs> and it's just such a mind blowing kind of thing of like, what is happening here? <laughs> what is? But it, but it kind of reinforces what we've talked about. You have children at war, and you have children killing other people, and. That's kind of what we got. We're left with there. Yeah. And hello, thank you, Vietnam. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is a tough movie. It is not an easy movie, and and it always, you it, know, it's always disturbing when people say come out of it just like, oh yeah, I love that movie. And it's like, why do you love that movie? <laughs> <laughs> the killing. Mm, I'm gonna sit over here, please. Yeah. Um, it, it, but coming out of was saying, I love this movie because it is complex it is meaty. There's a lot to it, and it's it's very easy to get lost at the higher level of it, but when you start taking apart the pieces, you come away with a lot more, and I don't know if I have it for myself it would be the, my favorite Kubrick film, but it is definitely a great film for this uh, director. Yeah. Unless you have anything else, we can go ahead and rate the movie. What do you think?
1: I would give it a five. I really
0: enjoyed it. Cool. That's five full bags of popcorn, and yeah. I think that this is a four. I think there are some for me personally, I think there's a couple of things that may be missing for context for the film. And it kind of that's where it falls apart with people coming out just saying, I love the violence. I'm like, I didn't think we need to hit it over the head as hard as we need to, but maybe we do. So I, I think there's a <laughs> one piece that's missing that, that can just push it over to that pure, pure excellence for me. But this is a very strong four for myself. I am really happy that you liked it. I know that when I told my wife that I was going to give you this film, she thought I was crazy, (laughs) but I knew, I knew you would either love it or hate it, but it wouldn't, it would be based upon the director and the content of the film and and the context of the film instead of just, why are you showing me this thing?
1: Yeah. I think the music confuses people, the rock and roll soundtrack kind of, I think that might be why people come out of it. Oh yeah. The killing because he has that weird juxtaposition yeah. and I like I even I came out of it and I said I think I made a comment I said I feel like this is this is Kubrick's Goodfellas and Angel's like what do you mean by that and I said <laughs> well you know there are many different kinds of mob movies. And if you look at like The Godfather, but The Godfather is kind of like, it's very operatic and very classical. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, then you have Goodfellas, which is like the mob and it's rock and roll. It's, it's meant to look very attractive. And, you know, and then you have like Boys in the Hood, which is rap and that, that dirty. And I, I feel like maybe if you're looking at that kind of comparison with Vietnam War movies, you would like Apocalypse Now might be like The Godfather. And this is more kind of like Goodfellas. And I think maybe people come out of that with the soundtrack and it it confuses them into not thinking so critically about what the message really means.
0: Huh. That's fascinating. Where would you put something like Platoon?
1: I know that's Platoon is kind of in the middle because it does use popular music as well. But it's. Uh
0: And I would consider that of the three, Platoon is definitely the most accessible one. Yeah, it's a lot easier to walk into platoon because you can follow the narrative structure of that film more a lot more easily than the other two, especially Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, you you need a knife and a fork and a bib to cut through that film. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I like how you you put that into the music categories of the operatic, the rock and roll. I'm sure that we could, if we thought long and hard about it, we could come up with every other genre of music. We yeah. could even figure out which one's the country of them all. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm not gonna go down that road now. <laughs> This has been fun. I'm I'm glad I gave this to you. I'm glad that I reached out to you. And I'm glad that you were willing to come on here and and play along with our little game, as it were. Normally this is the point in time in the show that I would have my guest plug where they're at, but you know, Diane is a private person and she's doing <laughs> this just for fun. She doesn't cast out here any pods and she doesn't really, you know, exist out on Twitter to yammer on with other people. But me, you can find me on Twitter at JeffRickPresent or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my co-host who actually does go by the nickname of Cowboy. That's kind <laughs> of odd and a little creepy. Does that make me Joker or does that make me Pile? That is up for you to decide. Now, if you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at jeffandrickpresent, all one word, at gmail.com. And I would like to send you a thank you to the Longbox Crusade once again for letting me use this beautiful attic of their headquarters to broadcast my show. And... Also to their sponsor, Omaha Bound, which is a great company if you want to bound up all of your comic books, especially your your nom ones. That's a great one to get all your nom comics into one nice collection. Ah, that'd be pretty. And I'd also like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who helped support this network. If you would like to support this network, head on over to Patreon and search for The Longbox Crusade. That's all we have time for today. Please grab your popcorn and pull up a seat. We'll be back soon with another episode. Music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at Joe 99. That's J O S E F L I N 99.